Hey there, Conquerors. Before the episode today, just wanted to remind you all that we are on Patreon now. If you want to go check it out, www.patreon.com backslash Conquering Columbus, which will be linked in the show notes. And there you can help us out via small monthly donations, whether it's you know $1 or $2, $5 a month. It really helps us out. And depending on the amount you give, you get cool rewards. So go check it out, guys. And without further ado, let's start today's episode. could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus, and before we get going today, we just wanted to thank our sponsors over at AWH, We're builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. They have over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications. They are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. To find out more about AWH, check out awh.net and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Today on the show, we're really excited because we have a very special guest, none other than Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream herself. In this episode, we talk about everything from Jenny's childhood in a small town in Illinois to opening her first ice cream shop and the path to building a sustainable business. Now I'm going to kick it over to Josh for a quick intro to Jenny. Hey guys, so for those of you who don't know Jenny, she founded Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream in 2002, leaving her studies behind to follow passion for artisan desserts which she found while working at La Chatelaine, a local French bakery. Since then, she's grown her business quickly with scoop shops in seven states, and her ice cream is available across the country. Um, what separated her ice cream from the competition were creative flavors and high-quality ingredients, such as only using dairy from grass-fed cows. Really excited to have her on the show today, and uh, welcome to Conquering Columbus, Jenny. Well, it's great to be here. How's your day going so far? What's a typical day in Jenny Brittenbauer's life? Uh, every day is very different. I... Um um, I, I travel a lot, so I'm all, often out doing something somewhere else. And even within that, there's every, every trip is for a different reason. It seems like um, when I'm here, every day is you know I, I spend a lot of times a lot of time writing, which is interesting. But you know, being an entrepreneur, part of your job, a big part of your job, is actually communicating your vision and communicating what you need to happen and what you want to happen, and helping people understand what what that is. And so I, I found that I end up spending a lot of time writing. Of course, I'm in the test kitchen every day when I'm here, and um, and even when I'm out on the road, I'm receiving shipments of um, recipes that are being tested, and I'm uh, developing all those recipes um, as well. And of course, you know we have ice cream tastings um, almost daily around here. Um, so there's that rough, aspect. Rough, rough life. Well. I'm, thinking, I'm gonna get involved with <laughs> yeah. those, and you can, can apply. Can you can apply online. <laughs> right. so. Well, and the funny thing is too that you know it, the the way that we taste ice cream is very different from the way you actually eat ice cream. Um, in that we're, I'm looking to exhaust every 
ounce of scent and flavor and texture out of the bite and I'm looking for the defects. And so I'm coming at it from a completely different perspective than when I'm out enjoying food, you know, or even enjoying somebody else's ice cream, which I do often. I don't look at it that way. And so it is a very different um, experience. And it's funny because we, we're eating ice cream, but we're like really serious. And sometimes when we can't get something right, it's like anything else when you've been trying so hard to get something right. Um, you know, it can be upsetting and frustrating, which is really funny because, you know, in the end it's just ice cream, but we're taking it so seriously. You know, we know it's, we know it's just ice cream, but. You ever find yourself going to random ice cream shops and going up at the end and telling them some of the things that are wrong? They're like, well, you had a little, a little too little cream in this. And then like, who oh, are gosh. you? And you're like, well. No, I'm not, that, I am not that kind of a horrible person. When, when I eat ice cream, I'm on somebody else's trip and I love it. Like when I'm on somebody in somebody else's shop, just like any, just whatever, I'm, I'm on their trip and, you know, in the end I'll either like it or not, you know, but um, I, I'm not that judgmental about ice cream in the first place. Mm-hmm. But, um, but just like any chef's restaurant, you know, you go in there and you, and you leave it up to them. And then mm-hmm. when you walk out, you just, you're, the one thing you're deciding is, did this was it satisfying? Was mm-hmm. it right? Or or would I go back or whatever? And usually ice cream makers are pretty, you know, their stuff's usually pretty good anyway. Right. So let's dive into the interview here, Jenny. Where are you originally from, and what was your childhood like? I grew up in Peoria, Illinois, which is right in the middle of Illinois. And the difference between Illinois and Ohio, from what I can see, or you know, from living here, um, is that Peoria is like, or Illinois, everything is in Chicago. So everyone's in Chicago, in Illinois. And so Peoria is another sort of, it's a size of about Akron, you know, um, like one of our Ohio cities. But you can like drive in Illinois for like, you know, a half an hour and like not see another person. Very different from Ohio. And so Ohio has, um, is a small footprint state, but like very, has a big population, lots of big cities and lots of medium cities and tons, just infinitely, infinite amount of small towns. Um, so uh, deeper into the Midwest. And when people think of Ohio as the Midwest, as I'm traveling and like meeting people and seeing, you know, hearing their reflection of what, what Ohio is, I'm like, you guys don't even know. Ohio is not the Midwest. It's actually much more East Coast, I think, than the Midwest. It's maybe like when you get to the East or the Western border of Ohio, you're kind of getting into the Midwest. But to me, I grew up in a place with just tons of space, you know, and flat right. fields and lots of forests. We spent lots of time in the forest. Yeah, it's strange when you think of places like Illinois or like New York, you just think of the big city and then I never really imagine what the outskirts are like. So it's always interesting meeting somebody from those places. But um, growing up, what were kind of some of your interests and siblings and what did your parents do, things like that? Well, we spent every weekend almost at our, um, at this, we owned 10 acres of forest that was a part of a much bigger forest. And so we spent almost every weekend out there. And I think most of my memories go back there. Much of what I love about scent, and I'm, I'm very connected to my sense of smell, and I think that's why I'm an ice cream maker, um, comes from that place. And so we were out there with our ATV, which, you know, was just inf- infinitely fun. Um, my grandmother's an artist. My grandfather, um, just intellectual. And so we, we had, like, a, a cabin, like a Thoreau's cabin. We, had, we were always doing projects out there and collecting natural materials to make things out of. We had 15 gardens, you know, wherever the sun would shine through the trees, she would plant gardens, whether it was just a flower garden or an orchard or um, there were vines. We all, we did so much wild foraging. We were always in the creek. Um, we had honeybees. We tapped the maple trees. For me, it was Eden. I mean, it was truly this beautiful place. And I got to know trees as if they were my friends, you know, and we, my grandmother is an artist and my grandfather is a sort of intellectual guy, very into Thoreau. We had to do two hours alone in the woods um, on a Saturday. 
And of course, we always dreaded it, you know, but we packed our bags, our backpacks for that. So we always had a snack and a sketchbook. And I always brought a tape recorder because I was positive that I would meet the gnomes or the fairies or whatever at some point in my life that lived in this massive oak tree that I used to <laughs> hang out under for two hours um, on a Saturday. Never did. But um, but those memories are so strong to me because right. as a child, you're f- closer to the ground. And the forest floor takes on a different smell every season. And all of that foliage is just so beautiful. And so... Um, I can go back there just by smelling the seasons and like plant matter, you know, and it was a very important place for me. Yeah, it's interesting. So you went from there and then eventually you decided to part ways and then come to Columbus. Kind of what was that um, path of your life like? Well, it was, um, it was very difficult. I was 12 and I very, very connected to my family back in Illinois. So I remember it being very difficult. My mother moved out here first, which was also very difficult. Um, she moved out um, several months before us. Um, and the funny thing is we moved to Dublin, and I'm from this, like, and so in Peoria, we moved a lot in Peoria too, but I lived in these tiny town, I mean, like a town of like 500 people, you know, outside of Peoria, which is now just a part of Peoria, but back then it was 25 minutes away. And um, I was moving from there to Columbus, and I had never, I had never heard of Columbus. Like I had heard of like San Francisco and New York, you know, but I had never heard of Columbus. So I immediately thought it was smaller than Dunlap, Illinois, where I actually lived, which was outside of Peoria. And so I remember thinking, like, okay, I'm going to be, like, the, the kid from, like, the bigger city or something. I don't know what I was thinking. You know, I was young. But I moved to – so I went to the orientation in Dublin. And they – it was, like, there were 40 kids there. And I was, like, oh, that's nice. Like, the whole class came out. Um, to like welcome me and you know whatever and it turned out it was just the new kids in the seventh grade so my mind was absolutely blown when I moved to to Dublin it was just like the this massive school in you know this very large city from where I was from and um, it was just so fun and I moved I've really moved almost every single year to a different school in my life Um, even if I was within Peoria or within Columbus and then Dayton back to Columbus, um, I still have moved almost every year. So different schools along the way or whatever. But Do you think that has kind of affected you in any way in terms of your ability to kind of build relationships with people within business and things today? Yeah, you know, it's weird because I'm a, t- I'm a complete in- introvert. And, um, and I grew up very, very shy. Like if I had to do a speech, like I would actually throw up. I've thrown up on teachers. Um, if you puke on the mic, Mike, Mike's cleaning that yeah, up. Like so. I'm, yeah, right? <laughs> Um, so like that is, you know, that's me through and through and, and introverts are, are just, you know, whatever, you know, it's, um, but, but I've never had a problem making friends. And I think that's because, you know, I just got used to it at a, at a young age, you know, and I always want to know what people are up to. I'm very curious, you know, um, and, and almost nosy, you know what I mean? But, but I think that has something to do with me always having to like be in a place where I didn't know people. And even as an introvert, and that probably would be, I would be a very different person now probably because I, um, I would have gotten too used to the people that I always went to school with and, you know, it would probably would have been much harder for me, but, but no, I have no problem. And that's one of the reasons I love traveling too, because I just, I just meet people wherever I go and that's not a problem at all for me. But, um, but yeah, I absolutely think it had an effect. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you were growing up as a kid, you know, outside of running around forests and going outside and just having fun, was there any emphasis on, you know, cooking or baking or anything like that that um, kind of drew you towards the profession or? I, yes. I mean, my um, my family on both sides were very, um, very into um, 
uh, flavor and food, and even from an art perspective and from an experimenting perspective. My grandmother Enid, who's the artist, is like just a big you know experimenter. I mean, she's she's funny, um, but also from a quality perspective, um, they are always we are always growing food on both sides, and both for fun and um, and also for you know canning and and whatever, uh, making jams and all of that stuff. So, I think that I grew up with a high um, standard of quality, you know, for food, especially being somebody from the Midwest in the seventies and eighties, you know, when everything was out of a box. Um, and I had to go to school with like wheat, you know, things and whatever, you know, like <laughs> honey. Um, and we always had our own honeybees and I absolutely loved it, but honey and butter sandwiches or whatever. Um, so I 100% think that, um, I use that every day and that's, you know, my standards are, um, from that, how I grew up. Right. And you know, you mentioned earlier uh, you were talking about your sense of smell being very important to you. You're well connected with your sense of smell. So, in my head, I was thinking, you know, ice cream sense of taste. I like tasting ice cream, but smelling is kind of an interesting idea to me. So, how does that how does that connect to you know how you make your ice cream and that sort of thing? So, if you think about what you experience on your, I mean, what what flavor is? It's a sen- your sense of smell and your sense of taste. And what you taste on your tongue is really only four or five things. It's sweet, sour, bitter, salty, and then umami, right? And so, um, and you can combine those things in a bunch of ways and get different results and, um, you know, work with that. But everything else is scent. And so when you taste a strawberry, you're getting some, you know, depending on the time of year and the quality of the strawberries, you're getting a lot of sweetness, some tartness, um, even some bitterness from the seeds. And um, and then once you once it sort of starts to warm on your tongue, you smell the strawberry, and that's what's a characteristic. You wouldn't even know it's a strawberry if you didn't have that. So the reason that ice cream is so amazing as a food and as an experience is that it's composed of cream, which is very high in butter fat. And butter fat is this incredible fat in the world. Very every fat is different, has a different melting point, um, a different just way of um, melting on your you know. Um, but butter fat absorb scent it's known to absorb scent and people always say you know make sure you wrap your butter because it will even don't put it next to an onion in the refrigerator because it will absorb the scent of the onion well it absolutely does it's known to absorb scent but the other really cool thing is it melts at body temperature so the second it touches your skin even if you take a frozen pat of butter it will start to relax on your skin immediately so butter fat absorbs scent and then immediately melts on your on, on contact with your skin and then all of those scent uh, all of that scent volatilizes into your nose. So ice cream making is all about scent. I mean, of course, it's also about texture and body, especially if you make it the way that we do, which is to like from the ground up with really great ingredients. And most people don't do it that way. We, we worry and concern ourselves deeply with body and texture in the ice cream first. But then the whole flavor of ice cream is just this beautiful scent. So we work with a lot of ingredients that have, you know, scent, whether it's strawberries or flowers or herbs or spices, all of that is scent. It's really interesting. I never knew that at all about the whole onion butter thing. A lot of things I didn't, I wasn't taught (laughs) growing up. So I just had my butter sitting all over the place. But so that's definitely a concept I want to get into here soon. But I'd like to talk about fast forward to Ohio State and then transition into actually creating the company and what that process was like for you. And then we'll jump into the other stuff. Yeah. So um, where are we (laughs) now? So so maybe talk a little bit about what you were studying, I guess, at Ohio oh, okay. State, and then how the process from there to you creating the company kind of evolved. Well, so first of all, you should know that like I, um, I grew up with this sort of adventurous family, and one of my mom's rules, really the only rule that I remember, actually, was that we weren't allowed to do homework. So we never did homework. 
And it's so a great rule. I know, right? <laughs> right? I, like I mean, rule. it is until you get to college and then you realize like you really actually have to keep up with things. But I did very well on tests, which was fine. So I got straight C's because I could get an A on the test and then a zero on the homework, you know, or every once in a while I'd like, you know, hustle and get it done in the hallway on the way to class or whatever. Um, and they would average themselves into a C usually. So I wasn't a great student, um, but I had a pretty cool life. And so, of course, I did not get it. Oh, and then the other thing is that I refuse to take the SATs. I just thought they were complete BS. I, and I still do. I still think that you can't judge somebody's intelligence by that, you know. Um, of course, I haven't taken them still, so whatever. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I saw my peers. I went to Upper Arlington at the time. I saw all my um, classmates, you know, taking a six-week course just so that they could actually learn how to take the test and whatever. And I love working. I wanted to work. I didn't want to do that um, after school or whatever. I didn't want to spend my money on that. And my counselors were just like, like, live it. They didn't know what to do with me, right? And so I was like, I'm going to go to Ohio State. I'm just going to go. And they're like, you, you will not get into Ohio State. So, um, of course, I applied and was not admitted to Ohio State. But I appealed it. I just wrote them a letter. I wrote a letter in pencil on notebook paper. I would love, to, I would love it if they still had this letter because <laughs> I almost don't even remember what I said. But it was just like, no, man, I've been doing all this stuff. I, didn't, I got straight C's because of this. And this is what I was doing instead. I wasn't doing homework after school every day. Like, I was doing other things. And I got a letter a few weeks later that said, you've been admitted. So I got wow. in. Yeah, yeah, it was really, I mean, <laughs> funny, too, because, like, I knew how to go to the library and use a computer and print out. I mean, I didn't have one at home at the time. But, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't think I've ever taken anything that seriously or something. It's just, like, you know, just ride the wave. I don't know. So I got into Ohio State and didn't do on my first quarter. And that was when I learned I needed to do homework. I had to keep up. And so then I started to get it. And I absolutely loved being at Ohio State. Just like all of the knowledge that was there, all of the opportunity, all of the possibility. And um, I just couldn't get enough of it. I just loved it so much. But I focused mostly on fine arts and art history. I loved it. And in fact, even snuck into the classes that I wasn't taking just to listen, um, especially some of the, the larger classes in the auditoriums, just to hear those because they were so fascinating. It was like going to see a play or a movie or something. Um, and during that time, I was also working at the bakery at Le Chatelaine. And at the time, too, Le Chatelaine was just full. The whole kitchen was French-speaking. Most of the people that even worked out front, there were a couple people my age. And most of the rest of them were, in co were um, uh, from various places in Europe. And just it was such, a, such an inspiring, cool crew. The family is really inspiring as well. They're from Belgium. And um, just met tons of people from Europe, especially, you know, Paris and um, whatever. Um, so I was working at the bakery thinking maybe I should go to pastry school, you know, because artists don't, I mean, don't, there's not a lot of career for art, careers for artists, or at least at the time, that was what I was kind of being led to believe by my by people who kept asking me what I was going to do. And um, I was trying to figure that out. I thought maybe I'll go to pastry school. I also knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur because I, the other thing I did growing up was just always have businesses. You know, Enid would teach us how to make something out of some natural material, and then we'd go make 25 of them and sell them. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to do is perfuming. I like it was a weird sort of thing. I learned. I started to think about it. I was like, I don't know anybody that's a perfumer. Like, there, that seems like something that I could get into. And like, not you know, everybody's becoming a lawyer or you know whatever. But like, I don't know anybody who's becoming a perfumer, which obviously probably makes it more competitive. But at the same time, I knew I'd be good at it. So I started thinking about that, and that was when I found ice cream. And I, I, I used ice cream to carry scent, in the same way that a perfumer uses alcohol or uh, fat to carry scent um, onto your skin, and so I made an edible perfume using an ice cream that was that I bought from the store and blended in there, and then that and then that the rest is history. I, I was done with school within a few months and started my first business. 
Did you finish your degree or no? I didn't. I, no. in fact, I was in art class, in figure drawing class, and a model walked in that I just hated drawing. She was very tall and like very thin, and like it was really hard. She was very angular, and I couldn't draw her. And um, I just never had good luck. There were like three hours, and I could not draw this person. And I just was sitting there like so excited to make ice cream. And so I got up and I left all of my stuff. My all, you know, if you're like studying art and poor, um, leaving your art supplies is a really big moment in your life because they're expensive and you build them each quarter, you know. Um, and so I left my whole box, my portfolio, and everything, and I rode my bike home, and made ice cream, and then I never went back. When they make yeah. the Jenny movie, they're on that that's picture, be a very though, dramatic have moment. A thing of ice cream drawn, right. and yeah. that's going to be the epic. Yes, the with epic. a naked Slide woman away. in the background, right. this is like yeah. beautiful yeah. naked yeah. woman. Ice cream. And I'll be like, I'm going, I'm going to ice cream. <laughs> I'm out of here. That's mm-hmm. incredible. I think one of the most incredible things about that is that I mean, it's just impressive that you said, no, no, no I'm not accepting this rejection letter. I'm going to write them a letter <laughs> back, and they're going to take me. I, I love that. That's I think if you ask cool anybody story. around here, that's it's still my personality. You know. Right. And then, you know, I think that's really important for entrepreneurs, especially, you know, and to a certain extent is just, you know, not accepting no as an answer. Well, part of it is not knowing what's not possible. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? You know, because I think most people would have been like, they're not going to let you in. And also you should do it this way. You shouldn't write it like that, you know. And so part of it is also remaining um, in a way kind of naive to what people, other people think is not possible, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it almost seems like <clears throat> that's part of entrepreneurship is just mm-hmm. thinking in a different way than other people ever thought was possible and then creating something new that changes the world. And part of that is just jumping in and learning as you go so that you're not following somebody else's path because, you know, the problem with somebody else's path is that also they have their markers and their ideas of perfection on that path. And if you're trying to meet those, you'll, you'll first of all, never live up to it because it's your, you're trying to do your own thing too, but you'll always have that as your marker versus like, this sort of unknown, you know, you're just, you're making discoveries, you're an explorer, you're going, and you shouldn't actually know where you're going. I mean, that's part of entrepreneurship too, not quite knowing what's, you kind of believe in what's possible, but you don't know it, you know, right. and being can, okay with that. Is that kind of how the company evolves? So something that I'm always interested in is, <clears throat> excuse me, you have these great ideas that you hear from entrepreneurs, but taking that from an idea to a concept just seems like the most daunting thing as you start diving into all the details, how am I going to source my product, where am I going to find the team, and how am I going to pay people. So what was that process like for you? Well, the funny thing is I've never been, I can't say that I'm like the most confident person in the entire world, but I've also never doubted myself. And I, it may be because of the way that I was brought up or something, but I didn't worry about any of that. Also because I was very young. I mean, I lived out of my car for three months. I thought it was like the best adventure ever. Like it didn't bother me a bit. <laughs> Um, I never once thought that I wasn't going to be able to pay people or whatever. And, of course, my first business failed. I couldn't – I never even had an employee because I couldn't afford them, which meant I worked 12 hours a day, seven days a week for four years, made $638 a month. And literally, like, you know, I only ate because the merchants of the market were, like, would feed me, you know, their leftovers or whatever. Um, but all of it was just really fine. I never – even with that, it never occurred to me that, like, this wouldn't be my life and that I wouldn't figure it out. Were your parents giving you any feedback at that time in terms of, you know, you had left college to jump on this venture that you wanted to go for, and, I mean, it wasn't flourishing. I mean, you're barely feeding yourself, so. I got feedback from everyone because everybody will give you their idea of what you should do. Um, And certainly, and then if you ask their opinion, they give you it even more. Um, I got feedback from everybody. My, My parents were going through their own kind of tough time at the time, and so my mom was very supportive but, like, had her own stuff to do. Like, I have a 
uh, a little brother. She was a single mom, and uh, and he was very little at the time. And so, and my sister was at co- in college, do it, train, you know, trying to do her thing there too. So she has a similar story as mine too, and she was kicking ass over and uh, over there, just going this math degree. I mean, hilarious girl, like not good at math at all in in high school or any time in her life, and she just kills it now. She's like a coder and whatever. Anyway, um, but she was doing that. So I I just kind of was on my own my own my own thing so at what and maybe that made it easier you know yeah nobody's like breathing down my neck so at what point did things finally change for you and you went from struggling to finally gaining some traction and getting things moving well so I closed my first business scream which I opened in 1996 closed that in 2000 Um, actually you know thinking that I was going to walk away from ice cream forever because um, I really had burned out I mean I was there so much I I mean I was overnights there many times and um you know, it was just at at that point I was burned out, and and that's a really interesting place to get if you've ever been there. It's just like when you burn out of something, it's crazy. You just you're done. And I went away, and um, and I was walking into um, a coffee shop one morning on a Saturday, and um, like I had a Vogue magazine, and I was ready for this orange scone that they were famous for that I loved, and I like woke up at three in the morning thinking about it, and like was going to go there and spend the entire day like eating this orange scone, drinking coffee and reading Vogue. And that was going to be like my whole morning or whatever, you know. And I got there and I waited in line. And when I got up, I was like, I ordered my scone and they were like, oh, we're out of the scone. And it wasn't a big deal for them. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is like why I'm here. This is like the only reason I care about you people right now. And um, I just sort of dismayed. I stepped out of line. I stood there for a second. I walked out. I'm like in a stupor. And, and the moment I walked through the door to leave I realized that I had been doing this every day to my customers at Scream and it was a huge moment for me because at Scream I still thought of myself as an artiste you know a little bit too much of the artist like I was making whatever flavors I wanted every day so I didn't have if you wanted salty caramel you had to just kind of know what day I had man there was no you had to like you know I don't know call me I don't know how you would know I had it like you know it was all irregular you know no consistency and so if you came in, had salty caramel, and then, like, went away and brought, you know, 25 of your friends back the next day to have it, I would not have it. It was like, so I, I was disappointing people every single day at Scream. And I had no idea. I still thought that that was kind of a cool um, concept, that people might come down for the Jenny, you know, the artiste, the ice cream artiste or whatever. And when I walked out of the coffee shop that morning, I realized that that was such a dumb thing to do, that that's not what you want in any business that you ever do. And so all of a sudden then, and this is only, like, three months after I closed Scream, I realized the mistake in that, and I realized that when you hit on something that you know people love, you've got to have it all the time. And in fact, I, so I call that now the craveable reason to return. You know, you got to build that, and when you build that, then it gives you the resources and the stage to try other new things that you want to do, but you've got to do the other thing first, you know? And then so now, so now we have two different cabinets, and that was Jenny's. When we started in 2002, I had one section for what we now call signature flavors, and we just never run out of those. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Um, and then we have these limited edition flavors. And some of those are ones we keep bringing back and tweaking, and um, some of them are seasonal, and some of them are um, just absolutely wild, you know, challenging flavors. Right. And that's made all the difference, and that's just sort of reignited everything for me. And so you opened up that store. That was in the North Market, correct? Yeah. In fact, one one space over from my original store. That's funny. So, mm-hmm. so did you enjoy working at the North Market? Did you feel like that was a good area to open up shop for your first shop? I loved the North Market. Still love the North Market. The North Market was like, um, at Scream for me, it was like a room of one's own. It was like my Virginia Woolf, um, you know, her her famous novel or whatever, which I have right over here too. But like, um, it was a place for me to experiment, to to take risks, to 
failed, but just to keep trying and keep working really hard every day to figure out um, without a ton of eyeballs on me. I mean, you know, the thing about the market is that there are so many people down there, but, you know, you have a small space, you can try things, you know, and if it's not working, you kind of know it immediately because people kind of ignore you, which is kind of what they did at Scream. Um, And then... um, when, you know, and also you're learning from the merchants, you're learning from the farmers every day, you're learning from, you're, I mean, everything from seasonality and produce and um, wines. I mean, there are, you know, the great thing about the market is, and you don't realize this when you're um, at the market as a customer, but there are there are times of the day in the market where there are almost no customers. And what happens there in these between hours is that the merchants talk and they exchange information and they teach each other things and they... Um, gossip and and it's a vibrant place and so I learned you know so much about wine so much about cheese so much about provenance of ingredients so much about spices um, so much of the you know global history of whatever curry you know from just walking around talking to the merchants and that's um, everything for me I feel like everything we have do today comes from there also community you know this idea that the rising tide lifts all ships and that we're all in this together Um, our sense of community as a company comes from there um, I just feel like every day, everything that we are is from that place. And I don't, we would not be the company we are at all without the market. The other thing is that over the counter, you know, working the market, I worked there eight years solid. When you make ice creams and then serve it over the counter, you get feedback immediately. And so our standards of quality were built hand in hand with our customers, you know, that weren't done in a vacuum or around a board table or in a, you know, focus group or whatever p- other companies do. They were built with our customers and so we're still doing that now you know that's so important to us getting feedback and doing that so obviously that was 14 years ago and there's a long time that goes over that span but what does the growth process look like in terms of you taking responsibilities off your plate and and going into other areas of the company and how has your focus changed Um, and what was it like bringing on more team members besides just yourself well i think most entrepreneurs think of bringing on being able to bring team any, you know, starting at like my first high school kid hire, you know, I still know my, all of those first kids that used to work with us. I mean, they're now in their twenties and thirties, but, um, you know, from there all the way up to our amazing CEO and our amazing quality leader and all of these people, you think of it as a luxury. I mean, you are honored to be in these people's company in a way, you know I mean? Um, and I think all the time that as an entrepreneur, your job is to earn your teammates, you know, because, um, they are everything. The whole the company is the people who work here. I mean, that is the word company means you're not alone, you know, and um, means community. And so I spend, and I still think that I spend my time trying to earn my teammates, you know, um, because they wouldn't be here if we all weren't, you know, at a certain level of quality or whatever, you know, like uh, with a certain devotion to what we do. Um, yeah, and and. You're just that is it. I mean, your company is your is your team. Hey guys, we're just gonna quickly interrupt the episode to give a shout out to our sponsor that helps make this show happen, AWH. They're builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. Find out more about AWH. Check out awh.net. And tell them Conquer and Columbus sent you. All right, now back to the episode. So you guys eventually got to a process where you decided to bring on Mr. Lowe as the CEO. 
Um, what exactly was that process like and why did you reach out to him individually? Because he came from a total different sector, correct? Yeah, and it was so funny too because John um, was like our attorney friend. I mean, that was how I described him to um, to other people. Like, I'd be like, no, you'll like him. He's like our attorney friend, but you'll like him. You know what I mean? Like it was so funny because um, we were from a very different um, world. I mean, everybody that I knew was more um, in the sort of bohemian artists, um, chefs, you know, restaurant kind of um, – or, or musicians' world, and John was from the other side of, of the world, and that's like it's like a it's a whole other thing. But we used to hang out at the Short Road Tavern all the time, and Charlie and I, my husband now, um, and Charlie met John a week before he met me, and we just always found each other. We, the three of us were kind of inseparable for several years before John um, moved to Cincinnati to take a job with GE, and he was just you know the super smart guy who was super devoted to the community and we shared so much when it comes to just like how we want our lives to go being you know great parents and you know important or you know working together with community or whatever and so when we were looking for a ceo it was always like uh, and we and we knew we needed a ceo from the beginning like i like charlie my husband has a certain skill he's this great analyst analytic guy like has this great brain for that i'm definitely the visionary and and then my brother tom was a part of the company as well and Tom is just like a great, incredible doer and um, sort of strategy thinker. And then, um, but we we didn't have any like managing sort of, you know, that sort of business mind, which is a, um, every entrepreneur needs that. Um, How big were you guys at that time? We had, I think, four stores. Um, and we were just starting our wholesale um, business. And online we'd been doing for a couple of years. And so we emailed John, and we're like, we're looking for somebody who's like exactly like you to be our CEO, and um, we need help figuring this out. And never once thinking that it was going to be him because he was on the rise at GE. He's just doing amazing work, and um, and he was like, well, don't hire anybody. Hang on. And then he like showed up a couple of days later, and like we started talking to him, and it was like this crazy thing. So John, um, so, you know, long story short, joined our company. Um, I, I think he didn't tell his wife in the beginning, but like. I think this is true where, like, you know, that he didn't tell her, but, like, he had to make his salary because we couldn't afford him. But we're, like, so his first job was, like, getting in and making phone calls, you know, to, to get people to sell our ice cream so that he could, you know, we could pay his salary. Um, and within a year or so, he moved back, was able to finally move back up here and um, the rest is history. But, yeah. And, and you know, our company's just a, a different company now with John. It's great. You know, the the thing that CEOs do is they make your company more, you know, safe to, to work and they, you know, create this great environment, for, you know, for people to work and um, get things done and get in lanes and all these things. And it's great. And HR, I mean, we have organizational structure now that we didn't have. Right. Hey, we're not telling anybody, but we don't take responsibility if John's wife listens to this episode. <laughs> no, I, you know, I'm pretty sure it's all legend now because it's all fine. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so what I was going to ask about is you said you had four shops at the time. What was that kind of process like of when you first started expanding into more areas, especially outside the city of Columbus? It was really, I mean, it's all been just a, a great adventure. Um, I feel like we don't take anything on until we feel like we're pretty good at you know, what we're doing. And um, as an entrepreneur and I think as a team, you want to be constantly challenged. You know, the idea of just sitting still is like the worst thing ever, being on a treadmill. You know, you want to be pushing yourself. I mean, it's, I think of it, it's very much like sports. You know, you're, you're always trying to get to the next thing. You're always trying to get better. And you know what's weird about it, especially from an entrepreneur point of view, which is my only point of view, but um, it, it's never about money. 
it's always about I know it's that's why I think it's better you relate it to sports because it's always about I know we can do that and in fact I think if we do this we're going to make ice cream better and so now it's like this new north star so for me it's always been about how do we you know how, how do we get more grass pasture dairy which is very complicated um and how do we keep growing quality and get more direct trade ingredients? Like you can't get sugar in a direct trade ingredient way. Like, um, you know, you got to grow for that. So anyway, it's all been about like, how do we get to this quality place? And uh, and then also challenging like, you know, because it's fun. Any significant highs and significant <coughs> lows in that period up till 2002 to now that really stick out to you? Significant, well, I mean, first of all, um, Every, it's all high and low. I mean, the highs are really, really high, and the lows are really, really low. And that's, um, I think, if you talk to any entrepreneur, they will say that. Like, it's, it is, it is an adventure. When you say it's an adventure, it really, truly is. I mean, it's, um, it can be, um, it's brutal, and it's also like at the end of that, you know, tunnel or whatever. It's this, it's incredibly gratifying and. and you know, wonderful. So, you you know, you sort of, it's like you're just training, you know, and it's just, you know, whatever. So, um, so it's hard to pick out like, you know, the high highs and lows. I mean, you know, the James Beard Award was amazing. You know, opening stores is always really fun. You know, obviously the recall that we had last year was one of our lowest points, but it also led to um, us becoming a company that was so much better than we were in, in every way in terms of coming together as a team and learning about how to really um, do what we're here to do, which is to change how people make ice cream and think about ice cream. And we do it in such a different way. Um, and I wouldn't go back to the moment before the recall, you know, because we've just, we've just, it's just our ice cream's better, like the way we make it, the way we um, come together as a team, everything. You know, we're just a better company. Right. Can you talk and, about that moment yeah. a little and, mm-hmm. and what that was like when you figured out about the recall and, and how your team came together and what was said in that moment? Well, the interesting thing is when, you, when you're faced with something like that, uh, you know, very few other things matter, you know. Um, all of the stuff you were working on, just everything goes away. In fact, you know, um, you know, it's odd. You get this super tunnel vision. I mean, and, you, and, and I think everybody here knew what – we didn't spend any time, like, making the decision to do it. You know that I remember. We just kind of—it was just the only way we could do it, and that was that was fine. And once you once you sort of rip that bandaid off, then it's just like you're just gonna fight like hell to build it back up, to get through that and build it back up. And so we spent a year, um, you know, kind of rising back up from the ashes in a way. Right. And, and it's you know that fight. There's a there's a lot of really amazing things in that fight and hope, and and you know you become a company like we had to figure out what it is that we do that only we can do so that we could then focus all of our efforts on that deeply. Right, and that's what I, I think was really impressed with with Jenny's and, and the company was the way you guys came back from that. I mean, you look at companies like Chipotle or other big chains that have had some recent uh, issues with recalls, and their sales really got hurt, and they you know they still have reputation issues. But I feel like Jenny's is different in that um, most of your customers came back, um, you know, like you said over that year, and uh, you guys continue to grow, and um, it just seems like everything is moving forward, and you guys have. Uh, kind of shown that, yeah, we've corrected the problem and it's, you know. Yeah, and you know, the important thing to also realize is that there are really, it's really amazing moment in food. And we just spent the last hundred years um, um, sanitizing and sterilizing food in a different way than what we're, we're, what we want to happen now, right? And so we have food entrepreneurs really, really deeply um, concerned with safety, um, but wanting to really change that. And, and we're making bold moves and we're doing really great things. We're taking entire fields of produce and turning them into ice cream. And that is like, that, that's 
not just unusual. I'm not sure it's ever been done. You know what I mean? Like people don't make ice cream the way that we make ice cream. You know, it's not like we can look back at the 20s and be like, oh, but they were doing it all back then. They were doing horrible ice cream back then, you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, in Chipotle, what they're doing is trying to trying to work with local and fresh and do all these things. Um, and it's, it's really challenging. And you don't realize that when you go to a lot of restaurants, they're starting with already pre-cooked meats and, and you know, um, you know, produce that's very old and, you know, sure, you know, so we're trying to make really, really good food with really, really fresh ingredients. And the, and the challenge in that is huge. And the innovation it's going to take is huge. And that's what makes it actually like worth fighting for, you know, but, but the food entrepreneurs right now, that's, that's what we're here to do, you know, to put safety on the same lines as we put quality, you know, Right. Yeah. So I guess my question in that last one was, you know, what what were the steps that you guys did to uh, kind of come back from that point? And, um, you know, I think you guys did a great job of, you know, correcting the issue. And then, um, like you said, it's been a process that needs, you know, there's needs to be more um, innovation involved mm-hmm. as well. But uh, what allowed you guys to kind of build your relationship back up with um, not just your customers, but future customers? And build well, that you know what? Um, so I, I really think um, so much of it is just because we're um, it, we're in, in touch with our customers. And, you know, we think of our company as a community behind the counter of the people who, who work, you know, from our growers and makers and producers um, through our team and all of our scoopers and everybody who works at Jenny's. Um, but then also our community is, is everybody, it's over the counter as well and all of our customers. And so, um, so just being, you know, trying to be um, in constant communication with people. And then when this happened, you know, we were able to just talk directly to people in a way that we always talk to people, you know. Um, but I also think that Columbus is an incredible community. You know, I've always loved Columbus, of course, and um, and we've just loved being here. We love the community of Columbus, and um, it's so much a part of who we are. Um, and I think, you know, when you build a, co- a, a company that's sort of committed to the community as well, um, the community comes out to help. We needed this community a year ago. Like we, we did, and they came out and helped us in many ways. And that was something that is just so meaningful to us. And I feel like that's just like something that describes the city too. Yeah, I remember walking by and seeing notes on one of the scoop shops and it was just like amazing how everybody was responding back to it and supporting you guys. And I think that's what's so cool about the company from an outside perspective as a Columbus resident is that I see people have a really deep relationship with the brand and the company as a whole. So as you guys continue to grow, you said that it's going to take a lot of innovation to continue doing things at a high standard like you guys are doing. How are you going to balance the growth and continuing your guys' brand and the relationship you have with your customers and providing such a high-quality product with expanding and trying to make a huge company? You know, I don't know. Um, sh- first of all, I'm not sure. I don't know what huge is, you know, for, for mm-hmm. me, like for my definition of it. I don't, I, you know, I, I do think, though, a lot, you know, the way that I think about it is, we have to grow to be able to impact and really truly source 100% of the dairy we want right now. And so um, to keep that all moving forward, um, which is so complicated. And um, and there are so many incredible quality changes that we can make, you know, as we grow. Um, and that's what I'm sort of focused on. You should be able to, especially now in the 21st century. First of all, growth is, is really, really important to making great ice cream. You actually can't make great ice cream when you're really small. It's too hard. You've got... 
um, regulations and pasteurization and just sourcing dairy. You can't get dairy from specific dairy farms. You have to work through big companies, and they're very um, challenging to work with. There are no small dairies anymore, very, very few. And um, in, in America, not just in Ohio, and we're a dairy state. Um, so growth is is very much a part of this story. How do we make really, really great ice creams now? Well, you got to grow. And I actually think this is going to be true for many, many food entrepreneurs, um, that that growth has got to be a part of our story, and we've got to be okay with that. Instead of thinking, um, I think, in this sort of um, 20th century way where we have these, like, smaller um, little pockets or whatever, you've got to be thinking about that. And and so we're kind of on that train. So so we should be able to get better as we grow. And at that, And whenever that tips is when we have to stop, you know. Yeah, definitely. Right, so... You know, looking ahead from this point to, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, where do you see the restaurant? Where do you see um, Jenny's going? Well, funny, I am, again, I have this quality light at the end of my tunnel, and it's not, it doesn't tell me how many stores we're trying to get. I love service. That's just, like, what I was born to do. I love customer service, and I love creating environments to like, you know, I think, you know, one of the things we do in, in ice cream is we bring people together. That's like the reason we make ice cream because it's like so much fun um, to see people out on dates with whoever they're on, you know, a date with or whatever. People get to know each other better over ice cream. And it's like so much fun to like be making this ice cream that helps spark conversations when you're on a date with your grandchild or your future, you know, husband or whatever it is, whoever it is. Um, and so anyway, for me, I love that aspect of it. I think opening stores is really great, especially in places where we're already shipping our ice cream. We're selling a lot of ice cream in various places because people um, have been buying it for a long time, and, you know, we, we can we can do that. Um, so that's a funny thing. I just don't, I don't know, 10 or 15 years from now, it'll, be, it'll feel like a long time away. So I think it kind of shines through in your story to transition to our next question, but we like to ask people what their favorite aspects are about Columbus and why they think that this was a good place to start a company. Um, for you guys, what are some of those key things that come to your mind when you think about the city? Well, I mean, our our access to ingredients is incredible here, whether it's from the ag, you know, just agriculture in uh, in Ohio, you know, what we can get within a two-hour drive is just incredible. Or even just, you know, thinking about Michigan cherries and, um, and various, you know, um, even bourbon in Kentucky or whatever, even like um, some, we get our yogurt from Pennsylvania and... Um, you know, there's just incredible access to agriculture and then products to it. And Columbus has these incredible entrepreneurs um, and makers who we can we can um, make ice cream with their stuff too. I mean, it's incredible. so from a, an ingredient perspective, but also a collabor- you know collaborating on things, whether it's you know an event or whatever it is you're doing or a flavor or whatever it is. People are so open um, in this city, and. Um, and it's really a strength of ours. Like, you know, you, you can go to a bar and sit there by yourself and make and walk out two hours later with like three friends and, so, and an idea that you guys are all now working on. You know, it's like that's the city. And it's not like that everywhere. And I travel so much and I'm like every time I'm out in another city, I just like appreciate Columbus more and more. And, get, and I feel like I understand Columbus more and more from that perspective. I also think that mentorship here and like um, just our leaders in the city are really great and very accessible. And it's not like that everywhere either. And then and then Columbus is a city that like needs great people. We have great people. We need the work from this great people and the great people here. And so you feel like an important part of the community. And it isn't like that in other cities. It's not like that in other cities that are up and coming either. And it's and it certainly isn't like that in cities that are already arrived. You know what I mean? Like these um already cool cities. They don't they don't need you as much. And so Columbus is a place where you can be heard and I love that about here. And of course get your start. And who are some of those significant mentors within the city that have uh, shaped you and shaped the company? 
Oh gosh, I mean, every just from um, you know teachers at Ohio State and professors at Ohio State who I've I've looked up to just from an, an intellectual point of view and inspirational point of view. Um, artist, I mean, Anne Hamilton is just an amazing human being, and like the things that she's done as an artist. Um, for to business, I mean, we have Cameron Mitchell and at, at a high level, and Les Wexner, you know, who's you know just incredible and so generous um, and such a great person. Um, you know, even our mayor, you know, I mean, he's he's great guy. You know, uh, I mean, I wouldn't call him a mentor necessarily, but just a, an incredible you know person or peer. Um, all of the great um, business owners in the community, I feel like, are very in touch with with each other and and always willing to answer questions and participate and help each other out. Um, yeah, I mean, I just feel like Columbus is just full of, of inspiration and, you know, that sort of kind of inspiration that wants that makes you want to be better, you know, at what you do. Are there any significant things that um, Wexner or Cameron Mitchell have ever said to you as the business was growing that really stick out to you that were, like, interesting or pivotal in your guys' growth? Um. Kind of a tough question. Kind of puts you on the spot. Yeah, a bit, you know. But, I mean, yeah. I'm just very interested. Specific quote. Because <laughs> when you hear somebody that talks to somebody at such a high level like that, you're curious into what kind of feedback two high level people talk to each other about. Well, Cameron said something to me one time about your name. You know, you put your name on the sign, and um, and that's worth more than just about anything else. And so you'll always have power because of that. When I and I thought that's great. That's true. And I'm really glad I did put my name on the sign for that. Um, um, and. Less, you know, I, I'm on the board at the Wexner Center, and so I love to hear him talk. He's, he comes into the board meetings, and he's just a great, very inspirational guy. And um, um, I just think that, you know, the way his story is so um, interesting. I don't, I don't know him well, but I, I just I love his story so much, and I love all of those entrepreneur stories so much. And to see what he's achieved with that, you know, you sort of – it's just very inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, um, we talked a little bit about what Columbus is good at. Is there anything you think that we can do better as a community? Oh, what can we do better as a community? Um, Eat more ice cream. Eat more right. ice cream. That's right. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I'm, this isn't. I'm not saying that we're not doing this well already. But I always think we can we can support emerging entrepreneurs better and emerging artists better. And I think actually entrepreneurship and art and art are very similar. I mean, we're all taking resource, you know, uh, you know, resources and and that and turning them into something that are greater than the sum of their parts. And so. Um, I think we do a really good job of supporting artists, and I think we're starting to get better at supporting entrepreneurs, you know, street-level sort of entrepreneurs too, and I think that's awesome. I mean, I think we're doing a great job now. I think we can always do better. Just kind of two final questions that I want to wrap up with. One, um, when we kind of, this could have been put in the middle, but where do some of your ingredients come from? They're kind of all over the board, and they always come out good, but you hear, you read them, and you're like, the this flavors. is going to, I don't know, I'm kind of nervous, you know? So how does that kind of evolve? Well, it just depends. I mean, a lot of times we have farmers that will bring up, um, what, you know, a specific kind of pumpkin that they would like to grow or that they've heard of. Maybe it's some kind of hybrid from something or an heirloom, um, or, you know, or maybe it's one that will grow a little bit faster for us so that we can actually get it in and make it into ice cream in time for October. Um, uh, you know, but they have ideas. They're very um, innovative in that way. Um, or um, a lot of it is scent. So, you know, um, essential oils that are distilled from plants and so we can get lots of really cool stuff from there we can get cedarwood and um, lang lang which is this flower from indonesia and in fact in um, different places in the world lang lang is a is very popular ice cream and it's very vanilla like it's a really beautiful flavor but we we use that a lot and um it's really fun it's a familiar flavor to americans even though it's a very it's a different flavor 
Um, so they really do come from all over. And, and then, of course, we love direct trade or within a couple of degrees of separation. So, like, our coffee is from a company that, that engages in direct trade with farms. And then our um, chocolate is all fair trade. And we work with Sean X. Genosi and, and just outside of St. Louis. And he works direct trade with his farm, actually single farm chocolates, which is very cool. Um, and so we can help sort of support his business as well. He's just an incredible chocolate maker. And then, of course, you know, Middle West Spirits, like our favorite whiskey and, and um, bourbon and, mm-hmm. you know, company. And they, they we, we collaborate on this, um, like, mm-hmm. bourbon concentrate so that we can really get more bourbon flavor into our ice cream because we can only put so much alcohol in there. And so <laughs> we can get it to, like, be a stronger flavor. And mm-hmm. we, we've done this project collaboratively. And that's the thing about when you know your, you know, your, your suppliers and makers well enough, then you can collaborate on these really, really cool projects. Right. More bourbon flavor, but not enough to get everybody drunk. Yeah, yeah. We don't want the kids getting drunk in our <laughs> right. stores. That's not what we're here yeah, to do. Exactly. So, you know, our, our last question that we always like to wrap up with is um, focusing on our motto on the show and our slogan that we put on the back of our shirts is live uncomfortably. And um, that's because we feel that in order to be successful and in order to achieve the things you want to achieve in life, you constantly have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. And um, so what do you... What do you think of that phrase, and how do you feel that you you know you may have lived uncomfortably in your life? Well, I'm n- I mean, truly never comfortable, never there. I'm never um, it when I'm comfortable. I'm extremely I'm bored. I mean, that's that is truly me. I think everybody who knows me would say that. I just I just have to keep going, keep just keep going and going. Um, it, you know, also, it's great to feel scared, not just uncomfortable, but like freaked out you know a little bit because you're pushing yourself and only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something and that's so important because then you can really break through you're making breakthroughs you know that's we think of ourselves as I think of myself and the company is you know we're ice cream explorers but we are we're explorers and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before and that is uncomfortable but also scary which is awesome so just one one final thing that I really mm-hmm. want to ask, because as we're sitting here, it just makes me curious throughout your story, what kind of has driven you and still keeps driving you today to want more and, and create a bigger, and, and not necessarily bigger, but better business and um, really leave your mark with Jenny's? You know what it is. It's because we know we can do it. Because there's a vision. When you have an idea, an idea projected into the future becomes a vision. And then you start walking toward it. And until you get there, you're not there. So you can't leave. You can't stop, right? You've got to get there. And that's... That's that's it because we know what's possible, or we let's say I don't know what's possible. I believe what's possible, and um, I believe what's possible in body and texture in the ice creams, and how we can use pasteurization, homogenization to do that, and how we can make 21st century ice cream in a very different way than 20th century ice cream because everything's different now. Logistics are different. Freezer technology is different, um, and certainly um, pasteurizing, homogenizing those things are are different too. And so we have tools that we can work with to to make better ice creams and there are ways we can do it that we can't do yet, you know? Mm-hmm. And so until we get there, like I got work to do. That's, that's a great awesome. answer. I, I love it. I, and I think that's a great place to wrap up. Jenny, thanks a lot for being on the show with us today. Thank and, you guys. Uh, this is so much fun. Yeah. We really appreciate and congrats it. On your show. And, Thank uh, you. you know, if you guys want to check out any of Jenny's ice cream, you can go to over scoop shops here in Columbus or uh, across the country. I think it's seven States now. And uh, we'll have, uh, Jenny's website linked up on the show so you can check that out to uh, find all the places you can get her ice cream. And another big shout out to our sponsors over at AWH. They're builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive businesses for select growth companies. And uh, with over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying their applications, 
They are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications, guys. So go check them out at awh.net and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. If you're wondering how you can help the podcast, head on over to www.patreon.com backslash Conquering Columbus, where you can commit small monthly donations to help our cause. Or you can head over to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, check out our pages there, share our content, tell your friends about us. We really appreciate it. And uh, if you could rate us on iTunes, that would help us a lot. And that's the end of today's show, guys. We'll catch you next week. If you could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo. A desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.